Good evening and welcome to Dirty Secrets of Small Business. My name is Jack Mancini and I'm here with my co-host, Adam Sunhalter. And we're here to talk for the next hour from 7 p.m. to 8 p.m. Eastern. We're here to talk about small businesses. And we define small as 1 to 25 employees. We occasionally wander off their reservation. But that's basically our market. Any industry makes no difference. We like to talk about our adventures as business coaches. Adam and I have been together for 15 years. Actually, it's probably more. I've been saying 15 years for a couple of years. So uh, we're, we're up there with our business coaching partnership. We've probably seen everything there is to see. And tonight, after I introduce Adam again, Tonight, we're going to talk about companies that don't make money. No, wait, that's not right. <laughs> it's nonprofits. We're going to talk about nonprofits. They yes. exist, too. Yes, we are. So if they're nonprofits, Adam, does that mean they're not making any money? Wait a minute. Don't answer <laughs> right. that right away. <laughs> I want to introduce my partner here, Adam Sunhalter. He is uh, an esteemed, knowledgeable small business expert, just like myself. Wow. All right. Thanks, Jack. You're well, it's welcome. good to have have everybody here. It's good to be here. Uh, thanks for joining us again on this week's edition of Dirty Secrets of Small Business. And as Jack said, we're going to talk about nonprofits tonight and how different is a nonprofit from a for-profit. And uh, this is a topic we talk with all of our clients with. If uh, certainly w- within the first six months of us working together, it seems like it, that this topic comes up, and we're often amazed at how little little good information there is out there about how no- how nonprofits work. So we're going to get into that tonight and, and share some good stuff with you. So if you're if you ever considered or thought about it or, 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 or have heard about it or curious about it, this is a good show for you. Again, we'll have a lot of good information for you, and we'll link a lot of good articles to our, our show notes here as well so you can kind of you can kind of learn more about it. But before we get to that, um, as you know, you're always welcome to be part of the show if you want to talk about nonprofit <laughs> stuff. As Jack mentioned, we're here every Wednesday from 7 p.m. to 8 p.m. Eastern. And you can get us here in the studio. We've got Kurt sitting by tonight, waiting to take your call. So please feel free to call in at 440-946-9468. Again, 440-946-9468. You can also tweet at us. If we have three ways to do that. We have at MaximumVP. For Jack Mancini, he's at JackMMVP. And for me, it's at Adam Sonhalter. You can also email us, radio at MaximumVP.com. All right, so for-profits, non-profits, can you make money at it? Before you do that, i gotta, I got to make an observation here, Adam. Go ahead. Mentor, Mentor, which is in this listening area here, is going to be playing their opening game against St. Ed's. Wow, that's going to be quite a game. I hate to predict the winner of that one. You know, that game will probably almost be as good as the game the following weekend, Jack, when they play St. Ignatius. They don't play that early, do they? They do. They play on the first. No kidding. No kidding. Oh, boy, I didn't know that. So you guys can <laughs> soften them up a little bit for us, and we'll see how we do. Fair enough. <laughs> okay, I just wanted to interrupt you on All that. All right, so let me read a little article here um, in terms of nonprofits. You can come back to the whole idea, can you can you make money or not? And uh, just a quick aside before I forget, before I get, before I get into this. Now, many of you running companies, and we, we know this from, a, from a, a lot of discussions we've had over the years with owners of small companies, and we talk about nonprofits, so it'll kind of give you that shy grin, Jack, where it'll be like, mm-hmm. well, I'm not, I'm not running a nonprofit on purpose, right? Yeah, I'm losing money in my business. That's not yeah, what we're talking that's, about That's here. about how they look at it, too. Right. That's right. So we're not, we're not talking about a for-profit business that's losing money. 
That's not a nonprofit. So let me make sure we're, we're clear on that. Uh, nonprofits have to do with a certain cl- uh, classification as it relates to the Internal Revenue Service here in the U.S. There's lots of different classifications, but I don't want to get into that yet. But let me just make the point here. Again, you know, your opening statement, Jack, hey, can you make money at, at, uh, at nonprofits? So I want to quote here, and again, I'll put, a, I'll put a link to a couple articles that talk about this. There was a Wall Street Journal study done about a year ago. And they were looking back, and they went through a bunch of records from 2014. And they're looking at what's known as, I mentioned before, different classifications, what's known as a 501c3. That's a, that's a charitable nonprofit, according to the IRS. Well, that's an everyday language kind of a term, isn't it? That's why so many people are so well-informed about it. All right. 501c3. 501c3. And we'll get into that in a second. But I was, so okay. They did a study of these uh, and a review of the, the, the paperwork. Because, again, being a nonprofit, they have to file certain, certain stuff. So how many, how many nonprofit 501c3 employees made over a million dollars in compensation? That's what the study was trying to figure out. Wow, you're asking me that, huh? So picture that. So yeah, so while Jack's kind of formulating in his mind here, again, picture that. So they, they want to do a study to see how many employees. Okay, so maybe it's uh, the folks running it, but it could be other folks that are part of the organization. But they're trying to figure out how many of these folks made a million dollars or more in annual compensation. Talk about making money, Jack. Man, oh, man. I'll say 5,000 people. 5,000. That's pretty close. About half of that number. They found that 2,700 employees, again, this is in 2014, that made over a million dollars, which is about a, about a third more than in uh, 2011. There are about 2,000 people that, that made that, and their, and their guess is that it'll probably go up again in 2000, 2018. And what's interesting here, again, they, they talk about um, the, the most popular ones, what I, what I mean by that. So what they were, they're referring to is the Eds and the Meds that lead the list, the Eds and the Meds. So Eds and the Meds are education and medical. So yeah. many, many hospitals are nonprofits. Now we're talking at 501c3, we're talking about charitable nonprofits. Mm-hmm. Okay. So my, they said, my, my, well, go on, go on. Well, they said about 75% of the high-paid charity executives are working for either healthcare systems and another 10% were working for private colleges and universities. So that's 85% of those folks, Jack, are working healthcare systems and private colleges and universities. Well, you know, that makes sense. You know, uh, organizations the size of the Red Cross, there's a healthcare, uh, I would believe, a healthcare related uh, organization. And all universities, all public universities, are considered to be 501c3 organizations. Same with big hospitals. They're automatically charitable just by the fact of, well, uh, the applicants, they all got to apply, but they've been around for forever. And I would think those big organizations, yeah, it makes sense, Adam. 2,500 people, 2,700 people make over a million bucks. So what about uh, ABC Machine Shop in Willoughby, Ohio? Uh, There might be one, but (laughs) I'm not specifically calling it out. But uh, the little company, could they do a 501c3? Not necessarily ABC Machine Shop, but the owners of ABC Machine Shop might create a, a nonprofit for rescue dogs or for save the cats or... (laughs) 
uh, teaching Johnny how to uh, run equipment, putting in training programs. They could apply to the IRS to get an exemption, a charitable exemption, and people could donate to them and deduct it on their taxes. Or they could apply to different foundations in the city and different organizations that give to 501c3s. You know, we've seen many times in our clients, and when I say our clients, I'm talking about Maximum Value Partners. That's the name of our coaching business, Adam and I. But uh, we, we put those thoughts into many of the owners who are retiring, or not even retiring, just have a real strong hobby or interest in a subject, and encourage them to create a 501c3. Uh, it becomes a great tool. They can be paid, as we pointed out, a pretty serious compensation for, for running these. There are a lot of shams, like in everything, but for the most part, uh, they're very legitimate. you got to run them like a business. You have to have a board of directors. And basically, it's, it's a great, great tool. It can provide tremendous fulfillment and community good. That's what it's all about. So I'm rambling here, That's Adam. Right. But, well, uh, the, the reason we opened the show with this this <coughs> article is again one of the the common myths that are out there are the misunderstandings that you know, when we hear when we bring it up. And I gotta believe that you know if we're playing Family Feud here, Jack, it would be you know <laughs> we'd probably have 80 points in terms of if we had like a top three. 80 points would go to, well, you can't make any money in a nonprofit. That, you know, that's almost always the first reaction. They, that's they, right. Uh, they, they scratch their head. I never thought of that. Right. I, what, what does it take, right? Those kind of questions. Totally bewildered. Yeah, I mean, you know, to your point, it's something that, that maybe I, I got some passion about, but if I'm going to spend a bunch of time and effort there, I'd like to also be able to make some money doing it too, right? That, Why not? That, that'd be nice. Well, so, you know, I can't do that with a nonprofit. Well, sure you can. All of a sudden, you kind of see people freeze. It's like, I can really, yeah. Well, well, yeah. It's it's a matter of, you know, to your point, kind of being uh, a little smart about it. You know, if, as you might imagine, part of what this article I'm going to put a link to a couple of these articles in our show notes here. You'll see, but it talks about hey, people will will be concerned. Well, gee, you know, you had folks who are donating. The big part of the whole idea of a five hundred one c three is it's a public charity, okay, and that means it has public support. So if you've got donors and and the folks listening, I mean, I'm sure there are certain um, organizations that you probably support yourself where you write a check to it or you donate money or you donate other, uh, other things <coughs> to it each year and you get a tax benefit for it, right? So, hey, I'm donating my, my money to your charity, Jack, and all of a sudden I see you're, you're lining your pockets with that. I mean, yeah, all the good work you're supposed to be doing and all of a sudden it's going into your pockets. Well, you know, what the heck's kind of going on here type stuff, right? People want to make sure... Uh, if you listen to some nonprofits, I think, you know, United Way and other folks are very famous because they talk about, hey, you know, uh, 87 cents of every dollar you donate goes to our programs. And people scratch their heads and go, wait a minute, why isn't 100% going to it? It's like, well, hey. Somebody's got to answer the phone and, and file the applications and put the checks in the bank, right? That's called administration. Many of those. So you got to plan it and run it just like a regular business. That's exactly right, Jack. I would say it's uh, part of what we want to talk about tonight is you know the the, the, the idea that the, the a nonprofit again nonprofit being <laughs> let me clarify again a charitable organization not a not a for profit losing money. Okay, so nonprofit <laughs> and a for profit have a lot of similarities. And again, so if and for any of you who have been involved in maybe volunteering some of your time and efforts with. You know, things like the PTAs or PTUs at you know, the kids' schools or some local community stuff that's kind of going on, where it's all volunteer stuff, okay? Where everybody involved is volunteer stuff. 
Um, picture that on a much bigger scale and how out of, out of control and how frustrating. Because, again, you know, I've had uh, numerous experiences, as, as of you, Jack, in terms of leading you know, nonprofit organizations. And it can be, you know, that's why we used to have hair before we pulled it all out. You know, we're trying to, you know, dealing with employees is one thing, but dealing with volunteers is altogether different. And it can be much more difficult because they aren't being paid, right? So it's that's a, right with volunteers. They're yeah, it's a whole different motivation. But one of the things I was always amazed by when I first started getting involved with with some nonprofit and charity work was that how how most people will lobotomize themselves when they go into a into a nonprofit situation. What I, what I mean by that is they forget everything that they've learned in the business world and don't apply any of that stuff to the to the nonprofit world. Say, so wait a minute. It's it's really very, very similar, folks. And that's what we want to kind of tackle in tonight's show, and we want to kind of set it up here in the first segment about that. And Jack and I have had a lot of experience with this stuff. It, it includes starting up nonprofits. And we'll talk about some of those things when we come back from break in terms of what's going on there and how to apply the seven keys to success to not only for-profits but also so to, to nonprofits. So uh, stay tuned yes. to that. I'm Adam Sonhalter. And I'm Jack Mancini. We're business coaches with Maximum Value Partners. All right, we've got more Dirty Secrets of Small Business coming your way here on Integrity Radio, WINT, 1330 AM, 101.5 FM, and online, wintradio.com. All right, all right, all right. We're back here live on Dirty Secrets of Small Business. I'm your co-host. the other co-host. Co, that means two, right? Yes, it can't be your own solo co Solo, solo co-host, co, solo co-solo, co. Han Solo. I don't know. <laughs> All right, so we're talking tonight about nonprofits, charitable nonprofits, and and uh, I'll put a couple of links in the show notes to to the IRS classifications on this stuff. But I want to kind of share. And we're talking during the break here a little bit too, in terms of some common nonprofits you, that, that that you might be aware of in your normal day to day life. So one simple one is is churches. So as you probably are aware, there's usually a church staff of some type and kind that's there, right? You may have some folks from an administrative standpoint, kind of a business manager type person. You've got uh, folks who are working, you know, maybe there's a, a music director that, that kind of handles all the music in the church, right? You've got uh, other folks, you know, usually the folks that are, you know, whether it be a, a priest in a church or you've got a, a pastor somewhere else, usually they're being paid something, right? So you've got some paid staff. Now, um, many of them might be... I guess maybe underpaid uh, in terms of. I would think so. I think people come in there. Well, many people come in there with a, a higher mission in mind. Uh, they don't come in there necessarily for the for the pay and advancement. Of course, that's not true across the board. But, but especially today, it seems like more people are opting for a career in nonprofits. But uh, yeah, I think generally speaking, they're below comparable jobs in industry. That would be a fair assumption. So, you know, one of the myths we mentioned in the first segment was, again, people feel you can't make money. We kind of we debunked that real quick. This, this second one here, again, the, the idea that you have all volunteers. Now, you can have some volunteers for organizations like that, and it can be tougher. But once they start to kind of grow a little bit, you know, you get beyond, hey, we're trying to raise five or ten or fifteen or $20,000 for our, our school here or there or something like that. You know, when you're getting, getting into more serious levels where you're going to be, Maybe into six, seven plus figures, eight, ten fi- you know, figures. You know, you're getting into hundreds of millions of dollars. We're talking about these ideas of healthcare institutions or 
or, or institutions of higher learning, that there's certainly lots of dollars kind of flowing through there. So the, the concept of having all volunteers is just, is just crazy because you have to have some capable, qualified people. And you know, part of the article that, that, that I linked here mentioned that. They said, hey, there's been a big shift in the last couple of decades where the nonprofits are starting to realize that, hey, I'm competing. We're competing. You know, there's only so much you can do to tug at the heartstrings, Jack, to kind of bring somebody in to recruit <clears throat> That's them. That's right. you got to compete, and, and you know, maybe they take a slight discount on what they would make in the for-profit world. But they still got to be compensated pretty well. So if, if I'm a capable C, CEO type person that would command half a million dollars in the marketplace, well, for you to offer me fifty thousand dollars, well, I, I may want to be part of your your nonprofit, Jack. But boy, that's a, a one tenth of what I'm worth. You know, maybe I'll consider three hundred thousand instead of five hundred thousand. I'll take a maybe, you know, maybe, right? But my point is, again, if you were in a tie, you probably wouldn't. <laughs> well, stop wearing <laughs> ties for the for the two hundred thousand loss. You know, so I can't afford those anymore. But you know, my point is, again, you, you have to have some capable people here if you're going to have some success. And, again, you know, so, so volunteers are, are, are part of it, you know, almost part of any nonprofit, obviously. But there's got to be a core group of, of, of paid folks. And if, if they're business savvy, operational savvy, the, the chances of, of the nonprofit being successful is going to be much higher. Because you need an organization needs money to survive and to move forward. So how do you do that? You do it with the same basic business principles for a for-profit organization. If those are put in place and being executed well, the organization's going to prosper. It's going to complete its mission. It's going to get, as part of that mission, monies to operate. And in order to do that, some people have to be paid. Many volunteers, obviously, are just that. They don't get paid money. They get paid another satisfaction. So, All right, so what does that mean looking at it from a business standpoint? So in our language, those of you who have been uh, longtime listeners, you're aware of this, heard this before. If you're new, welcome to the show. And what we use to frame all of our business situations is the seven keys to success. Correcto. So if you go to our website, MaximumVP.com, there's a link there for the MVP playbook. You'll see a link to the seven keys of success. And maybe it's helpful to kind of follow along here. If you're listening on the podcast, just hit a pause real quick and go take a look at that. See so you have it in front of you. But these seven keys that we talk about and, and work with our for-profit clients, we also work with nonprofit folks on this stuff too. These are as important, perhaps even more important, you know, when it comes to a nonprofit because it helps to kind of give some very, very good focus to it. So this is something that we're, you know, that we've used numerous times. I was having a discussion recently with a client of ours about this, and what we find is that most people, when it comes to the topic of nonprofits, it's literally a blank screen, a blank whiteboard. They really don't know how to get their arms around it. They don't know what it looks like, doesn't look like, how it should, how it should look. And so we'll use the seven keys to help frame what has to go on. So it may start with a vision. Usually, you know, many things that you get passionate about kind of start with a vision. You see an opportunity that's there as far as, hey, there's, a, there's an open space in the marketplace for this. Maybe, maybe your business itself uh, is having difficulty in finding workers, and that's been a problem even before the, the booming economy right now. So you get motivated enough to create a training nonprofit uh, you know, you, if you have skilled machinists or, or, you know, and that's what you need, but you, you can't find any and they aren't turning out younger people like that, you can create a nonprofit organization for training people 
to learn those skills. And you could raise money for it in a lot of different ways, uh, you know, principally through donations from individuals, from foundations, from associations, other trade groups, other 501c3s. And by the way, there's a lot of nonprofits that are not charitable. 501c3 is a charitable nonprofit. Uh, there's, there's certain goods and bads, pros and cons about that. But uh, not all, like a, if, if you belong to a country club or you belong to some private club, the, the donations or fees that you pay have to be used by that organization for the purpose of that club, of that social club. If you wander off and start to uh, invest those monies or any big portion of it, a material portion of it, into for-profit ventures, you're going to have to pay taxes. Otherwise, you don't have to pay taxes on on uh, you know the the profits and the donations and the fees that you collect anyway. Where was that's I going? Okay, with you're, that? you're talking about some of the business stuff. Let me touch on key two, which is the profit plans. There's a, another kind of myth that, that folks have. You're you're giving an example there, Jack, in terms of way ways to get funding, and donations are, are are a big part of it. And it could be from individuals. It could be from you know different foundations that are out there. If you look at almost any big corporation. They all have foundations of some type and kind. And if you're employed by those corporations, often what they'll do is they'll, they'll have some matching numbers. You know, for instance, we have a, a good friend of ours that works for KeyBank here in Cleveland. And I believe that the, the number is $250 each year that they'll match any donation you make to a charitable organization as an employee. So if you write a check for 250 to somebody, they'll match that check. Okay. Cool. All and right. So they, because they, 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 part of what they want to do is they want to do good within, within the, uh, communities that, that, that they're part of. And so they, and they want to encourage their employees to get involved. But here's what happens, too. Like, like, let me come back to your, your training example, Jack. So, you know, you can run a nonprofit where it's fully funded by donors. Okay, so whether it be individual donors who are donating stuff or foundations. But also you can charge money for your <laughs> services, Jack, right? It isn't like I have to give everything away as part of a nonprofit. That's right. So That's right. part of what can happen is, hey, you know, if all of a sudden I have a company that, 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 that needs some machinists and you provide training for them, okay, well, hey, I'll send my, my uh, people to your training school. And now what might happen, instead of me paying what would be a normal market rate, whatever that might be, maybe I pay a quarter or half of that market rate you, and, and you cover the rest of it, right? So all of a sudden I'm getting a good deal. Not only am I getting the skills that I need, but also I'm getting it at a, at a fraction of the cost maybe that it would normally cost me to do it because you're subsidized by some nonprofit, you know, by, you know, by being a nonprofit, you're subsidized by, by some donors that are, that are willing to do it. Well, you're good, yeah. Local foundations, all all big, all big community uh, sources have have a charitable arm to it, and they like to invest, as you said, into the community. So, I have an organization that trains machinists. Okay, well, you know, I, I'm I'm going to create a nonprofit, a charitable nonprofit for that, and I'll get donations from these organizations. I could probably get government grants, government donations, or not donations, but what sort I'm looking for, contributions. Oh, well, um, grants, like you mentioned. Grants, like, yeah, right. right. And you know that that that's raising money in a different way, but there's so much money out there available looking for good homes to park it in. So that's a good strategy for a small business owner that is in need of not just people but other things. So we're, we're kind of jumping back and forth here between a couple of our keys. I know it's probably clear for Jack and I, but I'll make sure that, that, 
that you listeners yeah. are clear on it. So we're going back and forth between the profit plan and the cash forecast. So profit plan is key number two, and the cash flow forecast is key number six. And uh, early on with the nonprofit, probably more on the cash flow front because the profit plan will probably show. And again, we use a profit plan, so maybe this is a nonprofit plan, Jack, for 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 profit or for nonprofits. <laughs> but it's the same well, thing. Yeah, what are we talking about? In terms Who's of, yeah, you know, it's, it's not necessarily a profit plan because they, they aren't making profits; they make revenue over expenses, right? Revenue in excess of expenses. Mm-hmm. That's their fancy word for profit, right? Because it's a nonprofit. <laughs> but they, you know, they, they, you know, <laughs> part of the goal, and often, they, you know. Uh, a goal for many nonprofits is to become, you know, self-sustaining or sustainable, and the way to do that is you charge you charge for what you do, right? So that that training school you're mentioning, maybe what they do is you use some donor funds to start out to get things going. But the idea is that within two, three, four years, you're all of a sudden covering your costs. You're covering the costs for the facilities, for the trainers, for the materials, everything else by what you're charging, and you're offering a you know a good fee. But maybe it's just again you help to kind of get started that way. You add different programs. From your donors, but you may have where you actually do have excess revenue over. over well, that's expenses. what you hope for. You're being, you're running just like a business, and yes. you are in effect making profits. Although we all pretend, there's a lot of pretending out there. Well, we don't we pretend. pretend it's something else. <laughs> that's right. No, it, it's profits. So, uh, like like many many things, it can get very confusing very that's fast. All right. So we'll come back. We'll, we'll add some more clarity again. We're already, we're already at the halfway point here up against our second break here. But we got some more good stories and, and different ideas to share here on how to get nonprofits going. So stay tuned. I'm Adam Sonhalter. And I'm Jack Mancini. All right. We've got more Dirty Secrets of Small Business coming your way here on Integrity Radio, WINT 1330 AM, 101.5 FM, and online, wintradio.com. All right, here we are, back live again here on Dirty Secrets of Small Business. Welcome back. Thanks for being part of the show tonight. I'm your co-host, Adam Sonhalter. And I'm the other co-host, Jack Mancini. All right, Jack. Tonight we're talking about nonprofits. And again, nonprofit on purpose, not nonprofit by accident. We're losing money, but we're trying to talk about nonprofit status of, of, a, of a, a charitable organization especially because it's a great way to fill a lot of gaps that might exist. And we talked about a few of them here in the first couple of segments, but we want to reinforce that, that there's a lot of similarities um, between for-profits and non-profits. And most people are shocked by that. And we were trying to, as we started in the last segment, talk about, we'll keep talking about here a little bit, Jack, in terms of the seven keys to success that we use to coach all of our clients. And most of our clients are for-profits, but we have some that are non-profits too. And how do you how do you take those principles and apply them? We were talking a little bit in the last That's segment. Exactly. Well, go on. Go a little on. bit in the last segment about the whole idea of forecasting things out in terms of cash forecasting, but also the profit plan. It's really, um, you know, uh, people like that term budget, right? But it's putting together the numbers. Here's a forecast of sales, a forecast of expenses, and here's the the revenue less expense. Right. That, that, Just that like a, a, a well-run business, they're going to have a, a forecast of profit, or in this case, non-profit. No. In this <laughs> case, they're going to have a profit, too, but they won't call it that. Now they do, but uh, well, we, know, we know what they're all talking about. So some, some are set up with the idea of never really kind of bringing in revenue other than just bringing in uh, being supported by donations. So if, you're, if you look at their forecast, they would show very little to no sales at the top line, some expenses, and then they would show a loss. But that loss would be covered by donations that are coming in. And so, you know, going back probably 15 years ago, Jack, you started up a nonprofit. You were part of a team that started up a nonprofit. From scratch. From That's scratch. right. That's so, right. With an attorney friend who I met 
Phil Warburton. His father was a doctor in North Canton. Very uh, uh, a, a wonderful man. He died at 102 years old, and and uh, he had a a rather loyal following. He was a loved man in Northeast or, or in North Canton. And uh, Phil, who's an attorney, and I became friends, and uh, we noticed uh, an opportunity here to honor his dad. And his dad was just so beloved by people that uh, we created a a non uh, a nonprofit organization, a charitable nonprofit. And the process really requires uh, filling out an application with the IRS, who will investigate and call you and. In that application, you list the purpose of the nonprofit, and it has to be a community-minded, benefited uh, organization because no no people or groups own a 501c3. Since the contributions to the organization, to the 501c3, are tax-deductible, if you decide to roll up and, and uh, transfer or quit or you don't sell those assets, although I guess you could, uh, you 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 basically have to transfer the assets in your 501c3 to another 501c3. Uh, there again, no personal owners. So there's a five-year waiting period or qualifying period in which once you start the application with the IRS, you have to raise money from the community at large and be able to demonstrate and show that. And the activities you you take on and the uh, with that money basically have to be community-minded. And you create a board of directors and you file a Form 940, which uh, lists all the financial activity. And basically that takes some some management skill levels to uh, basically have all that information available. But in our case, we were able to raise money and we did qualify as a, um, a permanent status of a 501c3. And from that, we basically ran it for a few years and eventually transferred it over to the Mayo Clinic. <clears throat> and this, organi- this, this organization that we created is now called the Patient Revolution or part of the Patient Re- Revolution being administered and, in effect, controlled by the Mayo Clinic. And it was a great experience. And uh, the whole thing was, was quite professional and quite successful. But the difference between a for-profit and a non-profit are basically the community owns the assets of the company, and you have to have a community purpose and then be able to demonstrate that to the IRS, again, who will investigate it. That's good. So a lot of the, the same kind of planning and, and ideas are, are applied to the non-profit if it's done well. And so having the team on board is a big part of it, and you kind of get started. And usually it's driven by, again, mostly when it comes to nonprofits, it's driven by a passion somebody has for something. And it might be different different things. And, and when we talk to clients about it, it may come up. Often it comes up in, when it comes to a transitional uh, engagement that we're, that we're working on where you've got, maybe it's a family company that's being transitioned from one generation to the next. And we'll have to talk to the current generation about what they're going to do next. And the topic of a nonprofit will often come up because we'll talk about things that they've been maybe wishing to do or wanting to do that they haven't had a chance to maybe do because they've been so busy working in the family business. But now that they have some time, you know, and maybe some resources available, to, hey, w- w- you know, maybe getting a nonprofit set up to kind of start something. Yeah, and that thought is usually not on their mind at all. It's it's something they haven't been 
dancing with. I mean, it's a fun thought to embrace. You know, to take your hobby or love or whatever it's going to be, whatever feel, whatever you feel could contribute to the community, to put together an organization that's going to move that forward, where you're right, right in the middle of it all. Whatever you elect to do in terms of activity, I mean, it's a great, great choice. And unfortunately, it just isn't put on most small business owners' radar. So think about these seven keys and applying what you know from a business standpoint to a nonprofit. So we talked a little bit about a cash forecast. You got to figure out where's the money coming from, and you know, you know, I don't think you touched on this, Jack, but there's a there's a five year usually time frame, like with, with getting that five hundred one c three status, where you're you're trying to show public support from it. Correct. And so that's a pretty broad, uh, pretty broad spectrum you can look at. And what does public support mean? Do you get donor donations from five people, fifty people, five hundred people? The number can't be the 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 founders of the organization and the board members, I believe, and I am that don't don't take this to the banks. I'm not quite sure. Right, so it's got to go beyond just the folks who are involved. Yeah, in you it. just yeah. can't write a big check and have it, and you know you, you need so, to show public support. Yeah, so the, but the idea you, you want to get the plan out. Okay, you know when it comes to the marketing plan, it's key number three. If you're following along here on our, uh, on our seven keys, key number three is a marketing plan. So when it comes to the marketing plan, okay, well a couple of areas you want to look at. One is you know, who's Who's going to be you know, the people who are going to use this, and how you how do you get the word out? So if we go along with with the training thing you're talking about, Jack. So if you're aware that again you have a problem with your company that needs trained employees, you probably have some other friends of yours that own similar type shops, or you're aware of people that have the similar kind of thing, right? So you could say you start floating the idea by them. Hey, if I if we were able to get something set up here to do some training, would you send people here, right? So you can do a little bit of market research there. You start talking to them about, hey, would you want to be somebody that that, that funds that? It gets, you know, helps get sure, it off the you ground. collaborate with them, and, and as long as you run it within the rules, why not? Right. You can talk to, to some friends and family, some folks that you know, other folks who are, who are in the industry, folks you want to be able to kind of talk to that might be folks who are potential donors as well. But you want to talk about, again, both who, who would you be able to offer this service or product to, again, from that marketing standpoint, but also from a marketing standpoint to be able to raise, to raise some money for this. And who who might be good donors for this? Maybe there's a there's a a machinist association that's out there somewhere, Jack, and they have dues that they collect, and they, maybe it'd be helpful for them to to fund something like this to kind of get um, to get it up and going because there's probably needs not only in your local area, but other parts of the country, or other parts of the world that have needs for this stuff as well. Sure. And often those those things start from that little kernel, that that that, that, that little seed, that you sort of kind of dream big. That's part of what we try to do. Come back to the vision for a second. You want to you know hey. What could this thing possibly be? You know, we started out, as we refer to it as WPI, which is the, the, the patient re revolution now. It was, you know, again, wanted to help patients deal with their doctors. And it was based upon that, seeing... That was the mission. That's correct. I failed to say that's that. That's okay. It was based upon seeing the tremendous outpouring when Doc Warburton was retiring. He was in his, his mid to late 80s, and he was retiring, and there, there was a, 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 um, a retirement event for him. And hundreds and hundreds of people that came in, in awful weather, standing outside the door in line, waiting just to say their goodbyes to this doctor, which is just, it was what an, fascinating. What an inspiration, absolute inspiration. I look, at, look at this scene. Elderly people who were, you know, made up the majority of his patients or friends, just standing in the cold waiting to get in to, to uh, just say a goodbye to him. And it was just remarkable how one man could influence so many people in that way. 
people in tears, people, I mean, just the emotional outpouring was, you know, unbelievable, you know, one of a kind. So like many organizations and many startups, Jack, you know, what happens is you start with an idea, which was, hey, how, how do we create more Doc Warburtons, more more doctors who are like this? And you guys started on that path a little bit and realized, that, well, well, heck, yeah, every medical school is teaching bedside manner and to a certain extent. They, they can't get their white coat until they, they go through that part of the course. Now, how effective that is or how well it's done, that's a different discussion. That's but a, that's it seemed like, hey, well, th this is almost kind of like, hey, the, the, the schools are kind of giving me the, 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 the Heisman, the stiff arm. Hey, you know, we have it covered. Don't worry about us, right? Okay, so as you were doing your market research and kind of turning things over, I realized, hey, that's not maybe the, the way to go. Maybe the way to go is to go on the opposite side here. Let's go to the patients. And so, again, it took some time to develop that and say, hey, the, the, what if we educate the patients about what they should be doing? Because there were some complaints and feedback you heard from the doctors. Hey, gee, I wish patients were doing this or they were doing that. Or you'd hear stats like, you know, uh, was it half the patients that came out of the, the uh, out of the exam room? More and they than would, that, like almost 80 percent. Elder, elderly, most health care is geared towards elderly people. So picture an elderly, maybe uh, an 80-year-old woman, um, you know, on the exam table for a doctor visit and, the doctor is talking fast or the doctor is talking in a different language and and uh, the communication isn't going on well and she isn't assertive because she doesn't know the rules of assertion and and basically she leaves the office with a nice smile on her face and says to the uh, uh, the receptionist, could you tell me what the doctor said? The receptionist wasn't <laughs> enough. I mean, we've, we, yeah, we encountered that multiple times and it was unbelievable. Then we write it and be like, wait a minute. You start looking around and pay attention when you're at the doctor going, wait a minute, this does happen or this happened to me, right? It happened, <laughs> I could see that. So how does somebody like that kind of take control of their own little medical visits? And that's what we tried to instill in these patients. Thus, the, uh, the patient revolution for the Mayo Clinic and, uh, you know, our program, which teaches patients or taught patients how to deal with their doctors. So the marketing plan is a key part of any organization. I don't care if it's for-profit or non-profit. And that's one of the things that we encourage people to do is to get uh, plans laid out. Take the seven keys. If you, if you print it off, take that and start to kind of plug in some of the, the ideas that you might have. Because ideas are a good place to start. Then the, the market research is often the, 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 the first place we'll, we'll push people in terms of the market itself, in terms of is there a market for that service or product you're talking about. And then, okay, how do you find some, some funds for that? So when we're at break, maybe you can kind of give some thought to that. We come back for our last segment. We'll talk a little bit more about you know, some of these stories and some other stories we've got as well. So stay tuned. I'm Adam Sunhalter. And I'm Jack Mancini, and we're business coaches with a company called Maximum Value Partners. All right, we've got more dirty secrets of small business coming your way. So stay tuned here on Integrity Radio, WINT, 1330 AM, 101.5 FM, and online, wintradio.com. All right, all right. We're back. Fastest hour radio is almost done. It's amazing, Jack. Every week it goes by so quickly. It but, is. Uh, it is amazing. Absolutely. We love being around. Maybe we should turn Dirty Secrets of Small Business into a uh, nonprofit. Now we're talking about nonprofits, Jack. Nonprofit do it uh, two hours a day. What do you think? Could do that. We could. <laughs> I guess we get sponsors. That, that accounts for public support, right? Uh, All right, so part yeah, of our goal for Dirty Secrets, that. Jack, here, I'll, I'll, we'll, we'll put it out there now. We can be, in 10 years, we can each be making seven figures as part of uh, Dirty Secrets of Small if Business we, Nonprofit. That's right. if, it's that, if, if we want to accomplish the mission for, for the good of the community and still be a highly paid executive, absolutely. 
All right, so... No one would challenge that, but that's okay. No, so one of the keys that's going to be getting our organization built up in terms of what's the team look like for us. Would you use one of the seven keys to success for that? Yeah, it's one of the organization plan, Jack, key number four. Okay. So who's on the team and even you know, key number five for leadership? Who, you know, who's going to be leading that charge? So, you know, we're, we're almost three years into this radio thing, so we're getting, a, you know, getting our, our feet underneath us for sure, but we're certainly newbies when it comes to, 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 to the radio in the industry. We could probably figure out how to do something like that too, Jack. I think so. so. I think we could. <coughs> so we, we usually could, figure out all those solutions. Well, again, it's amazing how quickly, if you, and again, the, 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 the seven keys, let me just reiterate that this client that we were talking to recently about this, within a 10-minute discussion, we went from a blank whiteboard to a handful of bullet points under each of the seven keys and help to energize and focus this thing like you wouldn't believe. Because one of the biggest challenges with starting anything, whether it be for-profit, non-profit, is knowing where to start. And knowing what it kind of looks like that kind of helps add energy to it. And, and you'd be amazed, again, one page, handful of bullet points under each of those, you'd be amazed at how they can start to really spark things and say, hey, you know what? Maybe this is not as crazy as I was thinking, Jack. Maybe it's not as far... Uh, out of reach as I was thinking because the things I got listed down here are all things that are right there, right within my grasp, all part of, you know, the same things we, 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 we teach our clients in terms of know, like, and trust list and be able to tap into people who, who you've got relationships with already to kind of touch base on these things and, and to be able to run ideas by people and presenting it to them, that, 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 that seventh key of presenting. Who are you talking to? What do you talk about? How, how do you present the idea of what you're going to do? And part of the beauty uh, often for a nonprofit is the passion that people tend to have, especially early on, because, again, usually they're, they're thinking about a nonprofit because it's something that's, that's near and dear to them. That passion comes across very, very well. That can be very attractive and energizing. It can also be a little bit off-putting at times if you feel or present like you're a little bit too much of a dreamer, a little too fluffy, right? And so Yeah, it's kind of like any presentation. You know, if you're going to try to recruit volunteers, you have to to uh, emphasize one, one style of presenting. If you're talking to bankers or big donors, uh, it has to be another style of presenting. But what should always come through, especially with a nonprofit, a, a charitable organization, uh, the, the, the person presenting should always show a passion, an interest. And ideally, it's just going to be natural. It isn't fluffed. It isn't, you know... Uh, created to just make the point it should be legit and those are the ones that succeed those are the ones that get funding those are the ones that get good volunteers like any organization but more so with this because there's a lot of emotion a lot of feel um which you know kind of can can stray a little bit from the from the hard business line so also under our MVP playbook on our website, if you go to MaximumVP.com, MVP playbook, you'll see the three circles that are there. And the first of those three circles is the product or service. So being able to clearly define what your product or service is going to be. And we joke with a client of ours who's uh, thinking about this. We talked about this a number of times in terms of nonprofits, and he really likes wiener dogs. That's <laughs> one of his favorite things. This is a big burly guy, and picture him with the, with the, with the little wiener dogs, right? They have, what, three of them, I think, right three, now already? Three wiener dogs. But we talked about the idea of doing a wiener dog rescue as he progresses in his company, has some more time, and maybe a kind of a next thing for him. And he laughs at it. He, he's, uh, you know, he, he can just picture himself rolling around the, on the ground with a bunch of wiener dogs, right? And, uh, <laughs> but it's, again, 
he, he's, he, he loves these animals. The, you thoughts know? In, the thoughts in his mind now, we'll keep encouraging right. him. It's a long play sometimes. It might take years. But eventually, I believe he's going to create uh, a charitable a charitable organization for wiener dogs. Yeah, we, and the, the, the biggest pushback right now has not been from him. It's been from his spouse, who is <laughs> afraid that if they do that, that he'll bring all of them home and rescue them all himself. And and bring him, every, every night he'll oh be yeah, bring home two, home. three wiener dogs. <laughs> That's right. That's right. But again, you, you could take it and be able to apply it to just about anything. But if you do it and again, be able to define what that product's going to be. So, yeah, you know, that's very simple. I can see it. I'm, I'm going to rescue wiener dogs, right? <laughs> First, I'm going to create a training. You mentioned, you know, creating a training course. So be able to define pretty quickly what that product or service is. The remaining parts of our marketing and sales and the administration, which are the other two parts of the three circles, that's where the seven keys come in. I've touched on many of those things. And so, Again, if you're if you're thinking about this, spend. If you can't within 15 minutes to half an hour, kind of quickly define what the product or service is going to be, and then fill out these seven keys, with just bullet points, in terms of what you're thinking about. And it's a great guide, and it's a great way to help either take what's an idea and squash it, like hey, I can't get these things filled out quite yet, so it's got to bake a little more, or it'll help to re-energize you tremendously. And be able to start to find ways to plug other people into it and be able to explain it to them in a way that's not all passion, all fluff, but has a little bit of, has a little bit of that business feel to it where it's got some meat to it. That's what the seven keys do. The seven keys kind of put a little meat around the bone, so to speak. Well, it gives, it gives context. So if you don't have context, if you don't have a nice circle to put these random ideas, because they're random unless they're plugged into something, so if you have a nice circle, if you have the three circles that Adam talked about, to sit in, in front of you on a piece of paper while you're running ideas through your mind, these three circles will keep it organized because there's a place for them. Nothing worse than sitting in meetings where we're getting a bunch of random thoughts. Nobody's really keeping notes. There are some good ideas, some crazy ideas, some ideas that just you know, aren't appropriate for the time. They're just floating around rather than pull them all together under one umbrella and be able to to uh, keep them organized and focused. That's one of the keys to success. Otherwise, you got 30, 40 things going on at once and nothing gets done. Well, that's often what a lot of the nonprofits appear to be going on, right? It's a lot, it seems chaotic and hectic and everybody's going to stick around forever because of their love of whatever the mission of that nonprofit's going to be. And... <clears throat> That only lasts so long. Eventually, that's going to wear everybody out. That's right. And you know, it's again, it's usually, and it's good for the founding of, it, but to, c- to help it continue on, as you mentioned earlier, Jack, the the nonprofit doesn't belong or own to anybody. It's, it belongs to the public. So the way to keep it moving forward and operating, you're going to eventually have a transition as part of that. And how does that start to work? And again, the the the, the passion is, is is important, but having that base. And having those seven keys in place, it's amazing how successful you can be with a nonprofit. And again, it's it's one of those things. Again, we wanted to bring it up tonight because it's something that's it's a common topic of discussion for us. It's come up a few times here recently, especially as well. And figure this would be a good topic to kind of just talk about and put out there because it's again, it, there are a lot of great causes out there that maybe aren't moving forward because people aren't sure. They have that blank whiteboard. They aren't sure what to do about it. And part of our goal with tonight's show is to kind of again debunk some of those myths, give you some ideas of what to do, how to kind of focus it relatively quickly as it relates to these seven keys. And it, it can be very, very fun. So Seven keys, very, very powerful. Any organization, 
for-profit, non-profit, any organization trying to accomplish anything should really understand and get, get uh, comfortable with the seven keys to success. So part of what we'll put in the show notes tonight, folks, in addition to a couple of the articles we mentioned early on, there's also some articles and some links to the, to the Internal Revenue Service. It's okay. These, you know, I'm not doing it for you to get put on an audit list, okay? This is to go research a little bit, understand what those classifications are. There, we mentioned several times tonight the, the classification of a 501c3. That's, uh, that's a charitable organization we've been talking about. That's, that's probably most likely where what we're talking about would fit in in terms of what you're looking to do. And to get yourself a little bit educated about this. It won't take a lot, but again, a couple articles, a couple of links we put there just to help you kind of uh, help you on your search. But a nonprofit can be very, very, not only very satisfying, but uh, again, it's often people start their own company, for-profit companies, Jack, with the idea of doing something that they love. That's right. You know, and, they can, and, and this can be the same thing that starts out that way. And the way to sustain it and make sure it's successful and, and grows and continues on even beyond you is to have a lot of these same principles in place that you would put in place with a for-profit organization. So don't lobotomize yourself when you go into the nonprofit world. A little bit of education to get a sense and start to kind of start to kind of go. But if it's kind of been there, you're thinking about it, or you've got some ideas. Nonprofit is a fantastic way to help get an organization off the ground, and there's a lot of funding out there. We mentioned a lot again, of funding, absolutely. Personal donations. We mentioned foundations. We mentioned grants. I mean, th- th- there's lots of places to pre- perhaps get money, and it's there. The money's there, and it can be used in a, in a way to help benefit folks, and can uh, can also benefit you. You know, if you're one running it, it's okay to take a salary and make and, and make some money with a nonprofit. It's a, it's a <laughs> it's a great it's a, good it's a great uh, it's a great concept and tool for putting in your retirement considerations. Uh, once you retire, especially if you've owned a business and run it and grown it for, for decades, now you're going to step away, and that won't be part of your life anymore. God, wouldn't a nice nonprofit organization taking your business skills, taking your your passion, you you go out and create one and, and start another business all over again. But this one is focused on benefiting your your love for something, and community would benefit as well. So it's it's very good. The seven keys, as Adam intertwined with with some of the ideas with the, the charitable nonprofits, the five hundred one c threes, they work together just like any business. All right, we're down to our last fifteen seconds, Jack. It's been a great show. Thanks for sticking in here and hearing more about nonprofits. We'll be back here next week at uh, seven p.m. next Wednesday. You'll hear more dirty secrets of small business at that point. If you want to get a hold of us in between, give us a call, 877-849-0670. We'll see you all next week. Thanks for listening.